lesson that we read today, it comes at a time where crowds were following Jesus wherever he was going. He was looking. People were looking to gain from his intelligence. There are the 12 apostles, but there are these disciples, this large, large gathering of people that were following Jesus wherever he went. So Jesus went up on a mountaintop, and he sat down, and he started to teach them. And the lessons began with the promise of God's blessing and calls for a new kind of kingdom, a kingdom which hearing and doing were grounding in faithful obedience and prayer. Chapters 5 through 7, which this, this is in that comes out of the middle of that, chapters 5 through 7 are often called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the mor- those who mourn, blessed are the meek, we know those blessings. At the center of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. Um, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, and he gives them the words. The sermon then on this mount concludes with talking about how the everyday fabric things of life are applied to faith. And here in this reading, it's how we use our money and how our money reflects our faith. So with that, let us listen to Matthew 6. Chapter six, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There are people who dedicate their entire lives to living a life of simplicity. 
People like Mother Teresa, who take this text to heart and live with the poor and assume a life of poverty to ground their heart in Christ. There are servants, like the Tizay brothers, who live in intentional community and humility, who share communally their food and their wealth for everyone, but live this kind of life of simplicity so they do not store up for themselves treasures on earth, but dedicate themselves to treasures in heaven and invite us to enjoy this type of wealth. However, that level of sacrifice is not really meant for everyone. There's no cable television in that kind of sacrifice, and many of us can't make that. And that is true in Jesus' time as well. If that was the intent of this text, it really wouldn't have touched the core of anybody who heard this lesson. I never understood it in its depth until I took seriously my responsibilities to raise money to support ministry. This lesson became then a bedrock for me, a foundation for any commitment Sunday, a foundation for any kind of person that wants to grow and affect the world with change. So I was thinking about two stories, and I think they're two stories I've shared before. They're two stories I'll share all the time, and I'm sure I'm going to share them again with you in the future. Two stories that shape my understanding of this text. And one came out of the gambling boats. In order to have riverboat gambling in the state of Iowa legislatures included a stipulation that a portion of all of their profits needed to go to support nonprofit ministries in, the, in, the, in Iowa. So in 1991, the Riverboat Development Authority was established to serve as an administrator of these charitable gifts and the charitable giving from the riverboats. Their efforts are all a matter of perspective. If you go to the RDA, the Riverboat Development Authority, you will see that they have, in the last decade, given $50 million to different organizations throughout the Quad City area. Sounds impressive. They never tell you that they had $3 billion worth of profits and that the portion that they shared was in the neighborhood of 1.6% of their total profits, well below the stipulation laid out by the state of Iowa. Every capital campaign project that you do in the Quad City area of eastern Iowa will need to wrestle with the issue of pursuing this RDA money or not. And it's always um, seen as just this golden cow that sits out there for you. Ministry that I was running was an ecumenical ministry, and when it came to pursuing gifts with the RDA, it was almost like the Reformation all over again. The Catholics in my board were good and faithful people. The Catholic Church had all kinds of fundraisers and all kinds of things that they did, and so the Catholics on my board thought I was nuts for not even pursuing, not even considering pursuing this, but all the Protestants on those on that board, looked and said, don't you dare touch that money. I even had some of my most significant donors come up to me and say, I will never give you another penny if you take one dime from the RDA. And they always came and looked to me to be the deciding factor in all this. So what do you say, Pastor Eric? 
whenever the conversation got to me, I said, well, I got to tell you right now, this is where I come down. If there's money in it and I could get a contract for it, I would change my kid's name to Pepsi and Mountain Dew. I'm just saying, okay? (laughs) If I could get that, I would do that right away. However, this is too divisive of of an effort. This is too divisive of a thing. If this is going to divide us that much, it's not really worth the money. Because the RDA doesn't really care if we exist. They don't care. And it's not that they're not empathetic, and they do give $50 million, and they've done wonderful things with that money. We can be critical of it, but they've done wonderful things with that money. It's just that they don't care whether we exist. There's always going to be a nonprofit organization that's going to come up and ask for money. There will be no shortage of that. I don't need that money. That getting a $200,000 one-time grant from RDA might seem, oh, isn't that amazing? But I need, I need the $100 gift from a family. I want a $10 gift from a camper. That has more power and more weight than a one-time $200,000 gift from RDA. Because the difference is, those small gifts, those small gifts come with their heart. Those small gifts come with their heart. I will always be important to that family. The family who gives annually will continue to promote our camp. They will invite friends to go. They will participate in every capital campaign, and they will be advocates to raise money for future capital campaigns. It might seem a foreign concept to hear this, but I would tell them, I need your heart more than I need your cash. One of the things I enjoy about Facebook is it lets me understand people. And if you're careful and you watch, you'll understand them as well. The pictures and stories people post reveal what is important to them in their life. In a way, it's a window into their soul for the world to see. The entities which try to manipulate social media for their own benefit are the only ones that understand that. They sit there and they watch you and they study you so they know where your heart's at. And we just sit there sometimes and shut down people and don't really look at it. Look at your Facebook. What does it say about you? How is it reflecting how you project yourself to the world? Because that's how you see yourself inside. I invite you also to think about this when you examine how you spend your money. How you spend your money will be reflective of who you are and what's deep down in your heart. Last week we talked about giving and pledging financial support for this ministry. In the days ahead, I want you to know there will be financial challenges. There is no money without ministry, or there's no ministry without money. However, more than anything, we in this place need your heart. Your heart will determine the health of this ministry. Does your heart yearn for transformation? Then give it. Does your heart desire love instead of hate? To have compassion instead of anger? To give instead of be protected? Then give it. On this Commitment Sunday, more than anything that you will put in any offering basket, I I want your heart. I want your heart for this place. I want your heart not for me, and actually not even for this building. I want you to give your heart to Christ, 
to open it up to be transformed. The other lesson I learned at camp, and I know I've shared this before, is when our board of directors wanted to intentionally diversify the socioeconomic demographic of the camp. And we identified an inner-city school system that has, was working with kids at risk. And we went out and we set out to give them 10 kids each year a full-ride scholarship to go to um, camp for the summer. We would offer each of these 10 students this free ride and all expenses paid and all they had to do was really show up. And the first summer we made all these plans and we went through and we talked with the uh, teachers and we talked with the administrators and we made plans and we knew who was coming. We had their names. It was all written down. And then the day that the first day of session, not one of the kids showed up. Not one child showed up. So we called them and asked them, are you going to come to camp? And they were like, oh, was that today? I completely forgot. I'm sorry, yeah, no, we're not going to come up, but uh, thanks anyway. It was done. So the next summer, we took the same approach with one exception. Every family needed to pay something for the experience. We would not determine that what the amount would be. We left that up to the family. But we had these families fill out what we called a scholarship form, but we weren't really nurturing scholars, so we changed it from a scholarship form to a campership form. And the form invited the parents to consider their financial capability. I think it was also invited them to consider their children. How much did they want to invest in their own child? I'm not sure all the fine details of the process. All I know is when we ask people to give something towards the experience, every single camper showed up. Not only did they show up, but the whole family was also invested in it, and they showed up. They came with their family to drop their campers off. They went and they talked to the counselors. They checked out the cabins. They were invested, completely invested in the process. In giving them something free, we were denying them the opportunity to make a statement of love towards their children. We were denying them that. The children and those families knew money was tight. But by paying something, no matter what it was, those parents were making a bold proclamation of how important their children were to them and to their future. We don't have much, but we do have, we will give to you. And this is a treasure, no matter how small, which proclaims a heart. The campers whose families paid something not only went to camp, they returned every year afterwards. And it was absolutely amazing because I never would have foresaw this thing coming. But every year that they returned to camp, they would come up to me and they go, Oh, Pastor Eric, you know what? It's awesome. We can pay $35 this year. And the most important thing is, they said that in a place where their kids could hear it. And they knew how much their parents were invested in their life. Their hearts were with their children, and their hearts were with us. We have challenges facing us that money cannot solve. Money cannot volunteer to help teach Sunday school or serve meals to the community. Money can't sing in the choir or ring a bell. Most of all, there's no life in the sanctuary if all we have is money and not people worshiping together. 
The future of this congregation is not founded on just receiving money. We need to be like a family planning how to spend what resources it has. Where will we invest our gifts? Church management and ministry are not just about receiving money. It's also about how we spend and where we spend our resources. No matter how you cut it, though, money all by itself cannot transform the broken, hope-starved life. Only hearts can do that. And this day, as we move forward and we make these commitments to this congregation, I invite you to consider that this day we are asking for your heart. And we're not asking for your heart as some kind of payment. We're simply asking for your heart to open it up to allow it to be transformed by the love of Christ. Amen.